Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. And I'm Adam. And we are here, finally, to cover a film that, as Adam pointed out quite rightly, we should definitely have covered a very long time ago. About (laughs) six years ago. (laughs) Uh, We are here... Around a hundred episodes ago, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we are here to cover the original Hammer Dracula, or Horrors of Dracula, for those of you in the US. Mm. Um, But before... We get too excited and go off on a tangent about how much we love Peter Cushion and Christopher Lee, which, spoiler alert, that's happening. And Michael Goff, bloody Nora. Um, Yes. So before we get into all that, Chris, what have you been watching since our last recording? Well, what I'm going to say here might upset some people. Other people may say, good on you. Great job. We thought we'd finished with Marvel, but we started watching the, uh, the WandaVision episodes on disney plus because oh. like, oh, it's there it's there look let's press play let's check it out it looks mm. a bit weird right and it is a bit weird but it <laughs> does also show what you can do when you change from a movie format to episodes because i think you can try things as we saw with mandalorian that you otherwise mm. might not quite want to try or would just wouldn't work in a film yeah. so it does let you explore a lot more options and i do think what they did here was it was original enough I mean, I don't know. Do either of you know anything about it? No, I haven't I, seen I, it yet. Zero. I kind of know. I know the context of it, mm. but equally, I know that it comes with a lot of MCU backstory that I'm not privy to. So I, w- I would say yeah. I think I think you can enjoy it without knowing much. They do kind of explain as you go because it is it's sort of filling in a backstory. So it's it's not like you need to know all of the other characters. It kind of just teaches you more about wonder and a bit about vision, but you can't. Yeah, you may already know about him. But so, I, like, it was interesting. It was quite meta, almost. It's like, like double meta. I don't know because it's yeah, like, and it's very difficult to say much without giving it away. Um, but I, I know that they sort of, they, I know that it kind of moves through eras of american yeah. television or american yeah. sitcoms yeah which you'd say well how can they possibly do that i mean that just how do you fit that into the story in a way that makes any sense but they do and i i, I totally didn't see it coming the way it did um but yeah I, I i thought it worked and and as it went on it also gets darker towards the end so um it's it's, yeah, it's a lot more fun to begin with um and and yeah, and it ended well. And so I, overall, by the end, I, I did enjoy it. Um, probably, I'd say a lot more than I expected to. I thought after seeing the first episode, it was going to be yeah, this will be a bit of fun. But it did. Mm. It did manage to build it enough that I was quite happy and quite glued to it all the way through. So I would recommend it if you like MCU, but also if you want to see something a bit different, and if you like seeing those eras of TV. Programs. Yeah. See, I'd, li- I'd like to see an American. Uh, I'd like to see an English program tackle it, where they sort of go through, <laughs> "Are you being served?" and then sort of yeah. through, like, start off around a bit and start off with Hancock, then go step to concern, "Are you being served?" and then duty free. You know, let's let's get really crap with the sitcoms, shall we? <laughs> and uh, what, rising the current radio show. You know, they could really sort of go. <laughs> but I, I agree with you, Chris. I think like with the Mandalorian. The, the 
I think a lot of these things, because there's so much in them, probably mm. would work better moving towards a TV format. But it's that limited series thing that seems to be the point. Yeah. Because the ones, because all the other ones like this, sort of stuff like, what is it, like Arrow and things like that, where people are sort of like, yeah, they're okay or whatever. Well, but I think so that, that had a lot of episodes, did it? Because I didn't actually, but, I didn't watch any of that. Yeah, I, but I think that's the thing is they're sticking to the old format of right. Yeah. Right, we're a TV show, so we do like mm. twenty odd episodes for seven years, like uh, a year yeah. for seven years or something like that. Yeah. Whereas actually, you know, you're probably better off sticking to like short and of, sweet. Yeah, like Game of Thrones or Mandalorian. Mm. Like do eight really mm. good fucking episodes. Yeah. Because then you've still you've still fulfilled more time than you would get in a movie. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But you're not sort of having to fill stuff or sort of put placeholders in. And well, when that, I think that freedom of not having to fit to an exact time length per yeah. episode probably is quite nice from a writer's perspective. I th- uh, there's so many things that it works well with. I mean, like even um, something that's a bit more traditional, like Mindhunter. There were mm. a few episodes of that where they were they were shorter than the hour or whatever. Yeah. And it, just made sense because it was like that's all this case is it, yeah adding anything you know? else just waters it down yeah and it bunging anything else in you you're just going to be aware that it's padding so mm. i'd like to see a lot more tv go that route and it, it makes so much sense with stuff like black mirror like anthology yeah. stuff because it's like sometimes you might have an hour and a half's worth of story you might only have 25 minutes on another one it would mm. yeah so no, I agree. For Black Mirror, it, it does work perfectly. And, I, you know, it's as you say, it does. It is nice that stuff's on demand now. And we've had that opportunity that's never been there before. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, it does. And it, it, it makes what should be. How many times have you watched something and thought that would be a great episode of something for 35 minutes, but they've made it an hour because that's how long the show is. And it totally ruins it if you start sticking yeah. like, to pad in. And, so, yeah. Mm. I mean, you can see. I've been, I've been rewatching. I've been rewatching a lot of old Doctor Who, and you can see there's certain ones where they would have cliffhangers and recaps, and sometimes they might recap like the last ten minutes of the previous episode. Do you like? Right, so you had fifteen minutes for this episode, didn't you? <laughs> but you've just punged in like the previous ten. So yeah, definitely the. Um, I mean, there's something to be said, I suppose, for the discipline of it, that you know you've got to fill mm. a certain amount of time. But equally, yeah, if you've got... Imagine if you've got some... Like, it's, let's face it, it's like short films. There's so many short films that are then, oh, well, this is the short film that we made. Here's the hour and a half. And you're like, the short was better. Yeah. yeah. You did this really well in 15 minutes and scared the crap out of me. Mm. But I'm fucking bored at an hour and a half. <laughs> That's why I was so pleased when that Kung Fury came out, you know, a few years back. They did the five-minute oh, yeah. version, got the crowdfunding, the feature length come out, 35 minutes. Perfect. In, out, done. If you'd made it an hour and a half, it would have been mm. terrible. But for 35 minutes, yeah. it was absolutely perfect. Because <laughs> I think there's, there's definitely something to be said for it with comedy, definitely, because I think there's so many things where you can just be, yeah, we've got the joke now. Yeah, and yeah, well, oh, so you're gonna do right, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so Adam, what have you been watching since our last union? 
Uh, well, I um, there's uh, a new uh, there's a new episode of the Occultaria of Albion's podcast, mm. um, which actually dropped today, and because um, that's what the cool kids say, and um, it uh, our very own uh, Mr. Wesley Stith from Moss Eisley, uh, Happy Hour is a guest on it. Uh, recounting, oh, all right, excellent. Recounting a true life, a true life tale of um, one of, of when he um, had like a, a UFO sighting, uh, and um, yeah, that was just just it's just good to hear him. So yeah, but uh, yeah. but I mean, yeah, the the episodes they're still we're I mean, still a great podcast as well. But yeah, it was just like oh bloody hell, just out of the blue suddenly. It's like what well, did expect to hear him today. So, <laughs> So that that was um, yeah that that was good. Um, the uh, I've watched, finally watched. Uh, I got round to watching something I bought in an Arrow sale ages ago. It's a film called The Visitor. Particular favourite of uh, Bobby uh, from uh, Not for Everyone podcast. Mm. Not it has to be said a favourite of Adams from <laughs> Not for Everyone podcast because having watched it, I went back and listened to the episode. I really couldn't remember. The episode at all but i'd obviously i had heard it and um yeah um adam's take on it is that bobby's main reason to for enjoyment was how pissed off he was with the film so <laughs> but um yeah very very strange like italian uh italian made kind of horror sci-fi possibly um a bit like someone, basically, someone obviously just went. The Exorcist, that's big, isn't it? The Omen, that's big, isn't it? Cocaine, that's great, isn't it? And <laughs> melded the three, and hmm. basically wrote this script. And um, I mean, it is, it's beautifully just mental. It's it makes no fucking sense, and it's uh, there are. Yeah, there's um, there are birds in it. Some of whom reveal that they have knives that come out of them and look like decoy ducks. There are uh, the film direct two film directors, Sam Peckinpah and John Huston. And uh, John Huston has like a starring role in it. For, uh, and he he's you know he's a, he's an older man of a certain gravitas. I mean he's he kind of strikes the same sort of figure as say. Christopher Lee does as Count Dooku, you know, like an older, a much mm. older man, um, you know, not necessarily at his physical peak. And they give him like fucking Starsky and Hutch action music every time <laughs> he appears. And it's just, it's an old geezer walking along in a white printed suit. You know, it's not, <laughs> it's, they've sort of added a dynamic to it. There's, there is, um, oh, Lance Henriksen's in it. Um, they've, cast a girl obviously on the basis that she looks a bit like Linda Blair and she is possibly the most like on purpose horrible child in a horror movie uh, mm. she is absolutely horrible child um, and there's God and the devil and Jesus and a satanic cult who are financed by basketball and uh, there's ice skating fight scenes where the little girl throws teenage boys twice her size through fucking windows. Um, there's 
uh, it's just fucking mental. It genuinely is. I really enjoyed it, but yeah, it's it's definitely not for everyone. It is. <laughs> it's like it's it almost has that thing of you're like, have, have I fallen asleep and missed a bit of explanation, or <laughs> is there a better print of this where they've got more plot in, or did they cut this for something? And um, yeah, so that was uh, that was remarkable, balmy. Um, yeah. I mean, I fucking enjoyed it, but yeah, Golden Mighty is a a right oddity. Um, and um, yeah, and by the end of it, I'm not entirely sure who the visitor is. So you know, I've kind of Houston, but he's my nobby. But um, yeah, so uh, and I told Bobby I'd watched it, and he waxed lyrical about uh, about it as well. So we've been holding a mutual appreciation society for the visitor on WhatsApp. Um, <laughs> Uh, the other film that I got finally got to see because it's been out in the States for a while, but it's actually finally released over here um, is um, Ben Wheatley's new film in the earth. Um, mm. And uh, Lee, you've, uh, you've watched this as well. I have. Uh, yeah. And um, I think very much, much more in the line of sort of, Kill List and Field in England. It's much more in his sort of folk horror territory than anything else. Um, like it, the best way I can describe it is, is and it, it's made me want to cover Annihilation on the show because I don't know if we'd cover In the Earth on the show mm-hmm. um, necessarily, but I feel it has a lot in common with Annihilation, but it's like, it's like you made Annihilation but on with with no money, so was, you didn't have. I was going to say exactly the same thing. It's if the BBC did a TV special of Annihilation. Yeah, it's like mm. it's actually what it feels like is this feels like it's the nineteen seven like the nineteen eighty three original TV series that then someone made <laughs> big budget <laughs> in the states later, but it's yeah. come afterwards, and it's yeah, it's a very. Um, a, very um, sort of trippy um, with um, very, very small cast, a really good fucking cast. Mm. Um, I have to say, I think there's, I don't know if you found this league, because I mean, obviously I don't want to give too much away because it's literally just come out. And I, I mean, I encourage people to see it because mm. um, I did, I did enjoy it. Um, I think it gets a bit bogged down when they reach the second encampment. Yes, I, I agree. Exposition, and for a film that's only an hour and a half, it felt a lot longer than it was. I um, yeah, it's an hour and forty-five actually. Yeah, but still, it, it does feel longer than that. Yeah, yeah. I think I've I've come to the decision following this film that I've seen all the Ben Wheatley I need to see. Um, yeah, and Sightseer still wins for you. Yeah, it's another one of those, like, when we, when we got to the end of it, Jennifer said, okay, so what was it about it that you didn't like? And I was like, I can't put my finger on it. I just didn't, it just didn't click for me. I mean, it's really, yeah. it's, it's one of the greatest casts. The cast was absolutely mm. incredible, um, but it just did absolutely nothing for me, and I don't know why. Because it's, it's a weird thing as well, because you get that sort of, you get that real momentum because you've got like basically basically the the, the plot is um, a research scientist is looking to join up 
with a former colleague and, as it turns out, former um, girlfriend uh, who is doing research out in the world. And it's actually it's set during probably COVID. They don't yeah. make they don't make that a they don't state definitively it's that that everyone is social distancing and wearing face masks and stuff. And basically, they filmed it during the COVID outbreak, so they that, make that's, a, yeah, that's yeah, so they, they make a sort of um, they make a, a sort of boon of that in a way is that there's mm-hmm. already the sort of and so yeah, basically there's this research scientist and it's people who are looking for a cure to whatever it is that is plaguing the world, whether it be COVID or whether it be a different viral outbreak or something like that. So could there and, have been something to do with it, Lee? Was it just seemed a bit too real? Uh, oh, no. I, well, I don't want to speak for you. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it wasn't It wasn't that because, the, as Adam said, that the... the uh, the sort of the pandemic that's going on is just a plot point to get them to where the it sort of kicks off. So the whole okay. thing doesn't hinge on that. It could work just as mm. well without the pandemic, but it just made it very easy for them to say, right, this is why everything's so encapsulated and why there's nobody about because it's during mm. lockdown. So people aren't going out or moving around so much. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, that's, and I mean, it's, it, it did some very good stuff. The gore and stuff. Like, I, I literally, the cringy bits, I was sitting, I kept pulling my knees up to my chest at yeah. points because it was so mm. gory. It was brilliant. Because um, I, I can't remember the actor's name, but the main, the, the main, um, like, the main character, um, <laughs> basically, they put him through it yeah. in this. There is a lot of, you know, he, he is brutalized and it's um but i mean i liked and, and basically yeah so they, they go out into the woods and it's meant to be um that they've got to reach this camp where this scientist is who's stopped communicating with anyone so they're looking to find out what's happened and everything and it's a she's deep in the forest and it's like two days journey to get there um, I did look it up, and I believe that it is because they say, oh, the only way we can reach it is on foot. Um, uh, but I believe that apparently in mainland England, in, main, in mainland UK, you're only about six miles from a road at any point. Oh, really? So I'm not entirely <laughs> sure about the two day thing, but you know, it was just something I had to sort of, because I, mm. I was like, two days walk. I mean, here, you, you, do you know what I mean? You sort of, but anyway, so suspension of disbelief notwithstanding. Um, but yeah, and when they, and basically it's him and a uh, park ranger, um, and they, and she's, she's directing him to sort of like, and they go in, and then they meet who, uh, Rishia Smith, who is playing a man who supposedly is just someone who lives on the land who is not meant to be there, but, you know, that's it. And he offers to help because um, they've been attacked and injured. Um, And, um, yeah, basically you then get like a sort of a domestic UK version of Wolf Creek for about 30 minutes um, where this guy basically just fucks with them. Um, Then they go and meet the... uh, 
they they finally sort of escape from him, go and meet the the scientist, and it's all about either using art or science to communicate with the spirit of the forest. Hmm. And there's, I mean, as you can imagine, Lee, the electronica was right up my street of yeah. Uh, yeah strobe lights and blasts and it does have such a sort of trippy um there are parts of it that are pure sort of like hallucinatory sort of feeling to it very much like a field in england um i mean i i definitely i definitely think I, I mean i definitely recommend it i did enjoy it as i say i think it has a bit of a stumbling in the middle um, where it sort of slows its pace, um, and I can't quite explain why that happens. Um, but all in all, I think it's a really enjoyable film, and you get a uh, there's one one character who stands out as a very remarkably capable person, whereas everyone else is either fucking mad or just not right for this sort of a situation. So, um, but yeah. And but I mean the fact that he the fact they did it in the pandemic and I mean what there's six people in the cast I suppose yeah. six mm, or yeah. seven and but still you know you do get this coherent thing but it is like like we said it's really made me want to do Annihilation on here because it's just made me want to rewatch Annihilation mm. um, because it has a very similar has a very similar thing but Annihilation is on a different sort of a different scale, certainly budgetarily, as well as um, for the extraordinary. Hmm. Whereas this, uh, this is much more about well, yeah, we're we're communicating with the spirit of the forest, but at the end of it, maybe there is no spirit of the forest. Whereas hmm. in Annihilation, no weird shit is happening. Yeah. That is yeah. genuinely a sharp crocodile. And that is a man made of flowers. So, you know, it's sort of, <laughs> it's sort of yeah, it sort of tipped me onto that thing, I think. So, so I'm just yeah. having a look at um, uh, Ben Wheatley's filmography list. And so we, we watched Kill List. And yeah. You said this is also brutal, similar to Kill List. It's not as brutal. And I okay. think also the difference is, is um, in Kill List, there's not really, I mean, Michael Smiley's character is probably mm. the nearest you get to a like a likable character in it. Mm. Um, whereas, whereas this actually, you do you are rooting for the heroes because they are good people, or that you do you know what oh, I mean? Okay. They are yeah. Whereas yeah. Kill List, obviously, it's you've a got a, fa- a family, <laughs> basically a firm of hit people. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of actual sort of identification, it's sort of a bit, mm. yeah. Um, um, so, 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 so his first film, Down Terrace, I've not heard you mention that. Sightseers, you said Lee's favourite. And then you've just mentioned A Field in England as being very good. A Field in England, which again is his first, the first film that he did with Bree Shearsmith. Mm, okay. A Field in England, again, is it's kind of a horror, mm. but it is also piss funny. Yeah, okay. Despite being like a black and white Civil War era psychedelic <laughs> Western in the UK that's, with magic. 
that's a reasonable feat. You know, it's, it's a, there's a lot going on. <laughs> and then Sightseer um, is, is also a black comedy, is it? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Very much. Yeah. Have you not seen Sightseer's, Chris? No, I, I remember... I think I guess it was the time when you watched it, and I remember you saying it's great. You should definitely watch it. I think I, just, I think that's something um, we might need to cover as well. Yeah. Okay. We might need to do on the show. If it if only so we can... to horror, but uh, it definitely needs watching. Mm. <laughs> it's not. It's it's got brutal killings in it. That's what we're <laughs> yeah. That's true. That is true. So we you know we don't watch tons of those, so it's reasonable to put one in there now and then. And then, yeah. uh, then he did uh, he did High Rise, which mm, I, yeah. I like. I liked a lot of people didn't, and I can understand why. But I really, my thing is, I really love the book anyway. Okay. So for me, it was like Ben Wheatley's doing a, mm. a, like he's adapting High Rise. I'm probably going to be on board That's, for that. Yeah. And then he did he did Free Fire. Have you seen Free, Free Fire? Fire no. Which is basically. I mean, it's not it's not like world shattering or anything else like that, but it is just a really funny film about a shootout <laughs> where basically it's a lot of very stupid, very incapable people firing guns at each other for about an hour and a half. <laughs> um, and um, but yeah, that's 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 um, it's entertaining, but it's definitely not a it's not like an essential movie. It's not a rush out and mm. see job. Um, and I've actually, and he, he did an re- adaption of Rebecca as well, which kind mm. of, which I've still not seen. I'm, I'm beginning to suspect that that is going to be like my version of the straight story. Like it's the only David Lynch film I've never seen because basically everyone said, "Oh, it's nice and it's got a linear plot and it's not weird." <laughs> oh, fuck off, then. That's not what I go to David Lynch for. <laughs> Tell me about that. And Rebecca seems like a bit of a hiding and nothing because it's like, so you're going to do an adaption of the, uh, an adaption of something that when Alfred Hitchcock adapted it, it's his only Oscar best picture. And yeah, that seemed a bit of a hide into nothing to just sort of like do it. And I don't know. I think it might've just been because uh, Netflix were releasing it. Cause I know Ben Wheaton said it's like, it's the film that more, most people have seen of his. Mm-hmm. Because it, because it's on Netflix, you know, far more than have seen any of his other films. Apparently, the next film he's doing though is The Meg Two. Yeah, so I've just seen that on his IMDb. That's interesting, I guess. Yeah, well, but apparently he just was like, "Well, I really like the Meg One, and I get to meet Jason Statham." So <laughs> good a reason as any. Oh, actually, yeah. yeah speaking of films that are yet coming up. Um, Rob Zombie, of course, has confirmed during this week that he is doing The Monsters, is his mm, next yes. picture. Um, yeah, I, I, I said at the time I wasn't sure how I feel about it, and I've had more time to mull it over, and I still don't know how I feel about it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. either way, I'm going to enjoy it, or either way, I'm going to watch it, and mm. nobody's going to take my box out away from me, so it's fine. <laughs> Whether I like it or <laughs> not, it's fine. I think that's what we've got to go down the route of is in the end it's like well it can't it can't necessarily harm you know it doesn't detract from or harm the original mm. uh, and because if that was the case obviously we would be already saying about the monsters today which was a fuck which was like pissing into <laughs> the open grave of Lily Herman Grandpa. Um, but, but that's funny though isn't it because sometimes people do feel like things detract from 
others they like. Obviously, we could say with George Lucas, changing Star Wars that kind of and not giving you the original. original. Yeah, there is right. So yeah, I definitely get that. That's sort of a, mm. a special case. But but you know, yeah, the idea that something should ruin something else think, seems kind of odd to me. I but... think it's that thing of like, it, well, it, it's like I got it to a degree when all the torture pony stuff come out because. Obviously, I'm into horror, and it's never, it, it's not really been that kind of super mainstream. And then Hostel, when mm. those films came out, and they became very mainstream. And as soon as you said, oh, I like horror, everybody immediately went, Oh, like that Hostel. Uh, and I was like, mm. No, not like. And I think that's what it is. I think if you love something and then a shit version comes out, everybody goes, Oh, yeah, the Karate Kid, that one with Jackie Chan. No, don't make me punch you in the throat. The original, who's going to watch the remake? And I think it's that. I think it's the kind of it, mm. it. It gives other people a watered down version of what you like, and it's like it's yeah. So yeah, yeah if, it's, if it, it's kind of if it supersedes the original. Yeah, in popularity, like if, if but you, not quality. If, if you Google Dawn of the Dead, the first one that comes up is the Zack Snyder, what mm. the Zack Snyder one, rather than the uh, George Romero one. And it's yeah, and I that I also I think this is funny enough. This was something I was thinking about the other day. I think it's also whenever it's people bring up a sequel, it's like Terminator is an incredible fucking movie. Terminator Two is an incredible fucking movie. Everything else afterwards should have been shot at birth. Yeah, <laughs> and it's. But you, so, and it's like, oh, I don't know, even like Indiana Jones, where it's like, he's now doing a fifth one. Mm. They're now doing a fifth Indiana Jones. You're like, we did a fourth one, which was pretty poor. Yeah. And now you're going to do What is especially... the chance that this is going to be? But it might be. But Well, especially because I know Harrison Ford has stated it's like, oh, well, I want to do it before I'm too old to do another sequel. And you're like, you are nearly 80. Yeah. I think you might already be too old to be in the NFL. To give his due, he's, he's doing well. But I mean, he looks good like this. There's no, there's, there's no yeah. doubt on that. But still, I think it's it's that also that thing things where it's like, you know, even if they de-age him, he's still going to walk like he's cracked himself. Yeah, That's what happens when you get old. You either crack yourself or you walk like you've cracked yourself. Yeah. Either they way, de-age as well. Like that would be the thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, I actually, to, I mean, let's... There's no cast mentioned for um, uh, uh, Monsters yet or anything. Let's face it, we know that Sherry Moon is going to play Lily. Yep, got to. Because that is without a shadow of a doubt. And also, I would suspect that I think I think she'd probably be too old to play Marilyn. Yeah. And also, I can't imagine she would want that part. No, no, definitely not. And, yeah. and uh, But also... I mean, if if Rob Zombie goes from his old sort of, um, you know, like his rep company, I mean, it'd be quite interesting if you got like someone like Malcolm McDowell playing Grandpa might be fucking great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that would be really cool. But I mean, yeah, it's gonna, it's also gonna live on, live or die on how much of it is sticking, not sticking to the original, but sort of, you know, how far are you taking it away from the original? I would suspect that he's going to be pretty respectful. I'd um, like to think so. But then, I, but then I thought the same about Halloween. And yeah. 
Yeah, and that was not the case. Um, so, so, so you saying about Zack Schneider, um, this week, stuff that I've watched, um, Army of the Dead, which obviously everybody has been uh, going on about. Oh, yes. Um, These are the episodes. No, no, uh, Army Army. of the Dead. So this is the new um, Netflix. Oh, it's it's the remake. No, no, no. You're thinking of Army of Darkness, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, okay. Yeah, no. So Army of the Dead is basically uh, a group of mercenaries is paid to... Las Vegas has had a zombie outbreak and has been sealed off. And somebody tells uh, a group of mercenaries that there's 200 million in, uh, I think it's the bottom of the MGM, but in one of the big hotels. Yeah. So if you can get in past the zombie hold, grab the 200 million and get out, you can keep 50 million. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, I'll be, I'll, and they're on the clock because in 48 hours, uh, the US military are nuking it to kill off all the zombies. Um, so they have to go in and try and do a bank raid. Um, so it's Ocean's Eleven with zombies. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, it's headed up mm. by uh, David Batista, who obviously you've just watched Chris from the Guardians movies. Um, mm. he, who I have to say is a fucking good actor. I was, he's one of the highlights of this film. I, I didn't particularly like the film. I thought he was brilliant in it. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's only in it briefly but like him in Blade Runner uh, oh he was uh, incredible he was fucking brilliant in it yeah he's yeah he's I think he's he's one of those rare occasions where it's like no actually you're probably this is probably your calling yeah because a lot of the time it's like well we'll get a wrestler in why because they're a big bastard to do, do their own stunts whereas actually I think Dave Batista's a fucking good actor yes yeah, yeah. Mm. It really is. Um, yeah. And I mean, this uh, it, it's a fine film. It's, it was on Netflix, so it didn't cost anything. And it passed two and a half hours. But <laughs> it, there was nothing original about it at all. It was all stuff we've seen before. Um, it, I did like the way that it kept twisting and turning. So, like, they kept chucking new elements in to change the direction and that quite worked quite well, but that like there's a character in it, and straight away it's like right, you can come with us, but you have to promise us no matter what you're not going to do this, you know. And it's like yeah, as soon as he said it, I was like, I guarantee that character is going to ignore everything he's done and just fuck off and do their mm. own thing. And yeah, like five minutes in, and yeah, and then every and then it's back to the thing of that one person who's a prick has ends up getting everybody killed pretty much. And you're like, that's not my character. They say, this is back to the, what was the film watch for? Was it Overlord? Where it was the people who were supposed to be getting ready for the beach invasion on Normandy to make the beach Mm. safe. But then they rescued hundreds of thousands of, uh, risked hundreds of thousands of people's lives because a child got abducted and they wanted to go and rescue it. And it's like, I think your priorities are well out of fucking whack there, mm-hmm. to be honest. And this was very much like that. Um, I mean, no, no, no one wants a, no one wants a pragmatist, you know. Say, say for example, in peacetime, no one wants a pragmatist running the NHS. Unfortunately, that's what we get. Yeah. But in the event that millions and millions of people are depending on this, you kind of want a pragmatist. 
So yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah. So it's kind of got that element to it. But I mean, it, yeah, as I say, it was. It passed two and a half hours. It was good fun. I think. It, I think could, it's getting. A could lot you see of it appealing to to quite a lot of people? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people who don't watch horror mm, will yeah, watch it. So might it's get good a bit of a type based. Yeah, the genre. But other than that. Mm. If you're already a horror fan, I wouldn't it's waste your time. Mm. Um, I just saw David Badista is um in in the June, which is in post production. Yes. The upcoming June film. I'm mm. I'm really looking forward to that. It looks really mm. good. I was looking to it, yeah. looking forward to it before lockdown, 14 months ago, and we're still mm. in yeah. the same post production, <laughs> which is good. I think they've had another year and a half to work on the film, mm. and it looked incredible before. So they've got no excuse if it bombs now. I th- uh, yeah, but then I, th- I think at the moment you could probably release someone shitting into a bobble out and it'll do <laughs> quite well just because people want to go out again. Yeah, they have so, called so, it so, Fast yeah. and Furious 9 and I will be there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, um, another thing I finally, uh, uh, to, to add to Chris's confusion... I did watch Ash versus Evil Dead. I've just started season three okay. as it's on Netflix. Uh, so that I'm, is the episodes, is that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was what uh, I was thinking it was, yeah. And I'm really late to the game on this one, but uh, pre, I, I, I had a bit of a thing. So Chris Jones, who was a guest on the show before, we had a ritual when it was on Stars that he would come around every Sunday and we would watch the Saturday night's episode. Mm. Um, but of course, we didn't get a chance to do that because of lockdown. But now it's all on Netflix. So he came round and we just smashed through five episodes in a in a run. <laughs> um, it's it's fantastic. It's carrying on exactly what it did before in a good mm. way. So there's nothing. It's doing exactly what the first two seasons did, but it doesn't feel repetitious. It just feels like they've got the format right. So why mess with it? Mm. So it's stupid and gory and over the top and Ash is still acting like a dickhead despite everything that's happened to him so far. And the fact that he keeps causing the problems, he hasn't learned from anything he's done. Everyone around him is always mopping up after him. Um, so it's like someone bringing in a crate of beer. You've had it before, but it doesn't get old. Yeah. And it's just, it just <laughs> more of the good stuff. So, yeah, so Ash versus Evil Dead season three, only halfway through, but I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of it. It's just dumb, stupid fun. Uh, yeah, and you can't go wrong. And it's on Netflix as well. So, winning. Oh, is it on Netflix mm. now? Yeah, all three seasons are on Netflix. So, oh, shit, I'm going to be watching that then. Yeah, oh, brilliant. It's, it's so, and the thing is, it's that thing where they're only half an hour each. So you put mm. on one episode and then you sit there for three hours because you can't stop watching the next one when it finishes. <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's kind of a funny thing about Netflix is there seems to be a lot that you don't always come across because sometimes I search things. It's like, what? It's never shown me that. And surely it should have shown me that at some point. Yeah. But if, if you want, Chris, I will send you the extremely comprehensive code list that I've got. Yeah, I did um, come across that once. Yeah, but... where you've got stuff on there and it's... Literally, it breaks it down to stuff like it's almost like British gangster movies yeah, based on yeah, books. like really weird, you know, yeah. really go, you know, it's Sub- really categorizing so, into yeah, yeah, it really drills, it really drills down. So, but the thing is, you, you end up you ended up just searching on those for ages, going, yeah, what kind yeah. of weird 
Um, Can I put this out into the universe as well? For fuck's sake, Netflix. It's. I mean, there's the there's distinct possibility because apparently um, restrictions being lifted is going to be delayed now because COVID rates are going up again. Mm. And um, yeah. Can I just put this out there? Netflix, you need to be able to let us switch off that fucking are you still watching Netflix thing? <laughs> yeah. Or, or set it to a time. Because mm. it's fine. If you're watching Ash versus Evil Dead and you've watched three in a row and it says, are you still watching Netflix? Fine. If you've got a very, very, very hyperactive child who's watching fucking Dougie mm. and it's like, you know, three minute episodes, you're having to press the button every fucking 10 minutes. Fuck you. Yes, we are still watching it because it's literally, it's not even fucking half an hour yet. For Christ's sake, Netflix, sort your ass out. Sorry, just been bugging me for some time, as you can probably tell. So, right. Uh, we and obviously, probably... Netflix listens to the show, so, you know, yeah. I'm sure they do. They're all there at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning waiting for the episode to drop. Um, so let's uh, move on to this evening's main topic because we've somehow managed to waffle on for 40 minutes and haven't mentioned it yet. Um, we are covering 1958's Dracula or Horrors of Dracula. So it's just horror. Oh, is it horror? It's not Sorry, horrors. Not horrors. It's just horror. Sorry. Yeah. See, now I should know that because I have got the US version and that's the one that I just watched, that I finished watching about 20 minutes before we started recording. Um, so, Chris, has we, we have neglectfully only just shown you this film. What did you make? I think of we it? should have like we should have some fireworks let off, shouldn't we? There should be something to. Yeah. There, there you go. go. That's it. I don't think that and that quite does it justice it. necessarily. <laughs> though, but it's 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 not that bad, Adam. No. <laughs> yeah, no. So so you know this is this is is it is it Christopher Lee's best role? It's got to be. It's got to be right up there. Hasn't it? It's, it's. I mean, it's his most iconic. Yeah, it's certainly his most iconic. Oh, I don't know. I was going to say his most iconic Hammer role, but is that mm. uh, the Duke de Richelieu in Devil Rides Out? It's a bit of a. Yeah, uh, he played Dracula more, I suppose. He's, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, you know, he, he's fantastic, um, and so it's great to see him. Um, and yeah, like I love the the aesthetic of the film completely. It's fantastic, um, and it's yeah. I mean, we we absolutely should have done it a long time ago. Um, why why did we wait so long? Who, I think we just just stuff cropped up, or we would be like, was, oh, we've really got to do that, and then suddenly it's like, Chris, we want to show you this obscure like Turkish <laughs> like show. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that and yeah so you just keep forgetting that it's like yeah there's kind of certain essentials in horror and mm. certainly Dracula is and also I mean we realised I mean we've, we've not really covered much Hammer no not as much as we should have done oh yeah because I, I always forget obviously uh, Woman in Black is, is Hammer like the the um the Daniel Radcliffe Woman in Black, which was our very first episode. I forgot that's Hammer. So that's interesting. So, so are they are they actually still making films then? Because that that was uh, yes. 2012, was it? 
yeah, they've they've sort of the 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 company kind of. I think the company name was resurrected essentially. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so they did that. Was 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 it Wakewood? They did as well, which yeah, is still think, not yeah. seen. And they've done, I think, something called was it Beyond the Rave, which oh, was yeah. like a which was like a vampire, basically a vampire clubbing movie that came out exactly fifteen years after they should have released a vampire clubbing movie. <laughs> uh, because it's like what was that like, one? Yeah. Blade. I seem to remember that. Had like, scenes in it's it, exactly. Like, but but then Blade did it in like fucking ninety nine or whatever like yeah. that, which was probably still a wee bit old. Although mm. I think I think mainstream America had discovered clubbing, yeah, by then because it's yeah there is a sort of it's like oh awesome. hey have you heard of this thing called rave culture? Yes, it's been occurring since about nineteen eighty seven over here. I'm afraid America, <laughs> but well done. <laughs> and it just goes to prove that the um, it just goes to prove that um, all the the um, the gay section of your society has been right since the early eighties that you found out that this is actually something fun to do. Well done. <laughs> so, but yeah, so they've kind of and so we did Devil Rides Out quite early, mm, yeah. and. I think we've done one other, um, which off the top of my head, I can't even fucking think what that is now. No, I can't remember but, what it was, but I'm sure when we discussed it, there were three, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But so, so yeah, what? Devil Rides Out was, was really good. That was a long time now. Yeah, I think that's like episode three or something. Yeah. Out, so, yeah. In fact, I must, I must have it written down because this is, I'll tell you what, when I was going through like, the, when I was going through the sort of cast on this, it's like, well, actually, like the three main, the three main cast members have been covered quite extensively on the show, yeah. but as but, is only right because you've got Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and Michael Goff, and they're all pretty, mm. you know, they are horror and Hammer stalwarts. You know, now, they Michael really Goff, I know him as the Butler from Batman. Yes, he did do yeah. that also. Yes, um, but yeah, I don't, I can't think of. What else? He has he been in anything else we've seen? Uh, he was in the Legend of Sleep. Uh, in he's in Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. Okay. Um, he plays basically. He plays John Hurt. Everyone thinks it's John Hurt, but it's not. <laughs> <his son. laughs> um, and I think he's the Undertaker in that, isn't he? Or the Notary or something like that. In, uh, okay. Notary Hardenbrook, I believe he plays. That's it. Yeah. Um, and then he's in Doctor Terror's House of Horror, where mm. he. He embarrasses Christopher Lee by getting a monkey to do a painting um, and then gets his hands cut off. Uh, no, yeah, gets his hands cut off and the disembodied hand chases Christopher Lee around mm. uh, for, a, for a fun 10 minutes or so. Um, and he's actually in, uh, and he was in The Legend of Hell House, which is our fifth, was our fifth episode. Um, but he's, um, I think he's actually uncredited in the film, but he's Belasco. Like he's the, the body that- of... Alaska. Is yes. that the one where they go into a house a and they're in a chair at the end? Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. And they basic they basically beat the spirit by body shaming him and saying you're a short ass tit. <laughs> you know, because he's meant because it's meant to be he's a giant, and then they're like, oh no, he's only a short ass. So <laughs> you metal and, bastard. Yeah, that was it. And Pete Cushion, obviously, we I mean we actually mm. took 29 episodes to get to 
some, yeah. pushing, some pushing for the cushion. But we did like Dr. Sarah's House of Horror, The Uncanny, Beast Must Die, uh, Tales from the Crypt, and interestingly enough now, uh, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, on Mos Eisley. Yeah. yeah. And, similar, and similarly, Christopher Lee, obviously, with Attack of the Clones and Revenge mm. of the Sith. Um, but yeah. Which he, he, was, he was pretty good in. Um, you know, it was okay. Yeah. Pro- probably would have done better if it had been, you know, they all would have done better. Very possible. If it had had a I different mean, yeah. director. But I mean, episode four was Devil Rides Out. And then Funny Man, but I mean, he's something really a cameo in that. Deathline is a cameo as well. Um, the aforementioned Dr. Terrace House of Horror, uh, Sleepy Hollow again, Curse of the Crimson Altar as well. So, did, you know. Did you just say Peter? Oh, no, no, Christopher Lee is in Funny Man. And Michael Goff as well, I just remembered. Yeah, obviously plays Elder in Curse of the Crimson Altar as well, but we haven't covered that yet, but yes. we will. Yes. Is um, he in Curse of the Crimson Altar? Yes, he fucking is. He's the butler, isn't he? Yes. I've left that off my list. I've left <laughs> that off my list. So, yeah, he's in Curse of the Crimson Altar as well. With Christopher we, But we have covered Curse of the Crimson Altar. Yeah. Are we, are Episode we... 102. Mm-hmm. Did we? Oh shit! I don't even remember covering. I need to go back and listen to it. Yeah. Oh no! Do you I was know why? We heard, but... It's because we covered it, and then my Arrow Blu-ray turned up, so I haven't mm-hmm. watched it yet. And I was like, "Oh yeah, we'll have to. I'll have to watch it when we cover it." But we've already covered it, so forget that. That'll be the thing when we all accidentally cover the same film and don't realize a second time. Yeah. <laughs> there has. I have had to do that a few times though. Whereas, like, my I get it the other way. Where it's like it was like with this. Like we must this have is, covered this it. Is, yeah. This is why we've covered Dracula because I'm like, we must have done more Hammer yeah. than that. And then it was like, what? We've not even done Dracula, <laughs> which is pretty much like 101 for vampires. Yeah. So, but I was wondering. So, what are both your takes? Because it this does have, um, I would say an element of romanticism or romantic imagery in it, which I had the impression you're not too keen on, Lee. <laughs> but it's... Say it like I'm... Uh, yeah. Well... What? A love interest? How very dear. You know, I, um, well, this film obviously famously did get into a lot of trouble because of the... Um, yeah. ...duality element. Um, mm. So mm. a lot of the scenes had to be cut because they mm. felt there was a strong sexual element between Dracula. At the time, and... that was too... Yeah, and they were trying to to cut those out and make them very separate. Yeah. Um, mm. But, yeah, I mean, I loved it. I, I loved the way they've slightly changed the story as well. So the idea that Jonathan mm. Harker mm. is there as a vampire hunter, effectively, undercover. Yeah. Um, the streamlining they do in this is perfect. It's incredible. It really is. Because there, there are there are a lot more. There's a there are there are some truer adaptions of Dracula that really follow that really follow the book. Mm. Um, I mean, the Francis Ford Francis Ford Coppola one kind of does, but also adds in basically Vlad the Impaler because it's the inspiration of Dracula mm. rather than it's in the book or anything like that. Yeah. And, but actually there's a BBC, funny enough, there's a BBC adaptation from, I think, 70, 
576 or something like that, which has got Louis Jordan as Dracula. And that is probably the closest to, like, that's the one that sticks to the book the most mm-hmm. of any adaption that I've ever seen of, of Dracula. But I think that they are make, they're making an hour and 20 minute movie and the stuff that they cut or shorten or adapt, because a lot of the characters are sort of like merged and things like that, really it makes sense and it makes much more sense as a film. Yeah. Because the, the book is kind of, because the book's, uh, what's the term? Epist- uh, epistolary, which is basically the book is written, is a, is a, a collection of documents. Yeah. Mm. So you get, it starts with the diary of Jonathan Harker and then you get letters from him and Mina. You get um, other people's diary entries who come into it, newspaper so that, reports. That sounds good. That it's, sounds like quite interesting. The, the book, I still would say, is definitely worth reading, especially because mm. they don't let you in the goth club unless you've read the fucking book. Yeah. And there is an exam. So you do have to, you, you know, you have to know your shit. You know, you have to know your Quincy Morris from the Dr. Seals to be allowed in. So, but no, the book sort of, the, the book is really, um, the book almost feels like someone's given you a case file. Mm. Yeah. Because it is like, it's like a, uh, it's made up of all these documents that build the whole, mm. which, um, which actually adds to the sort of, it adds to the sort of veracity of it that it's all these people and how they've seen these events yeah, and how it crosses over between them all and everything else like that. So I actually like the fact that they keep Jonathan Harker's diary as a plot point in this because Mm -hmm. that really, that feels true to the book. And actually there's even the bit where um, Van Helsing's sort of doing his own notes on vampirism. And he's do- and again, but they've done it in a much more cinematic way, where it's rather than he's sitting there writing it down, he's uh, putting it into a, putting it onto wax cylinder or whatever yeah. it is. Um, although that is that's one of the best, one of the more interesting adaptations from the book is that he they say about um, it's uh, mythology, it's um, it's myth, and it's not true that vampires can change into animals because in the book. Dracula can become a bat, uh, a wolf, a pile of rats, um, a, a sort of mist, which just mm. immediately now makes me think of what we do in the shadows. <laughs> so what are you doing appearing as a mist on the floor, you silly prick? You know, <laughs> but, um, um, so, but that was, again, that was like a budgetary thing where it's like, if we try and make him turn into a bat, it's going to look shit. Yeah, I and, felt the and, same. It was like just dropping a line in to say, just to let you know, there's going to be no transformations. Nobody's going to yeah. turn into a wolf because if we try and do it, it's not going to pan out on our budget. So yeah. let's mm-hmm. get the facts straight. We're not going to sod about with any of that. It's just and um and the um the not being invited in thing as well, which obviously has become a a big part of folklore now. But I don't remember being in the book at all so it was kind of it's not it's not in the book at all no and actually and actually the the other thing that the that's in the book that is rarely 
which is very rarely um, used, is that sunlight does not kill a vampire. It just merely renders him powerless. Mm. Ah. So, so essentially, it's a bit like, you know, your alky mate who starts fights, where it's like it's perfectly fine during the day. But you know he's had a, he's then once he's once he's had a few after dark he's a fucking nightmare and it's very much the same with Dracula you know he won't start any beef in sunlight because he knows that he can't pull anything off but then he sort of, you know, sun goes down suddenly he's a pile of rats he's creeping up your trouser leg as a mist he's giving it all yeah he's giving it all eggs so um, yeah they so I no I think that that is. And also, there's the condensing because basically, the in the, the book in the book, Jonathan Harker is a um, a state agent, and he is sent over by his he's sent over by his boss to um, uh, sort out the Dracula the Count Dracula buying an estate in London, and while he's there, it's basically as you see in the film, but. Uh, again, another budgetary constraint. Dracula has one bride in this rather than three. Yeah. But it's, uh, and, um, and, but basically that sort of sequence is pretty much as is, except Jonathan escapes. He doesn't, um, he doesn't come, vamp- he doesn't become a vampire. Um, and then the action basically moves to London where Jonathan's fiance, Mina, and her best friend, Lucy, become mm. Dracula's target. Um, and Lucy has um, three suitors, um, Quincy Morris, who is a, uh, an American adventurer, uh, Arthur Homewood, who is a, uh, who is like a, a, a peer, and uh, Dr. Seward, who runs an asylum, which happens to be next door to Dracula's estate. So in this, you obviously, you do get a Dr. Seward, but that is just, he's the, the physician. Um, they make um, they make Lucy Arthur Homewood's um, sister, and so Mina becomes her sister-in-law. And, you know, they, they just basically reduce down what is a much bigger and more unwieldy cast mm. to keep it sort of streamlined and just keep it sensible. And, again, and Van Helsing in... comes in at Seward's request, yeah. Yeah, exactly. mm. and they keep it in the one location as well. So instead of having the first half in Transylvania and the second half taking place in England, they keep it all in. Which, And again, I thought it was... Because they always cover... Um, uh, they're always sort of German-sounding names, the places they're in. And it was the same with this. They kept calling it uh, Klausenberg. But when I yes. Googled it, Klausenberg is the German name for Cluj. Which is in Transylvania. Yes, it's it's basically the Transylvanian capital, isn't it? Or like, I, I or think it's the, it's the unofficial Transylvanian capital. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it, it it's uh. Oh yeah, I would say you know like in the way that most people think that New York is the capital of America and it isn't. Uh, but by doing yeah. that, I am likening Cluj to New York. And having been to Cluj, it's very much not like New York. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's 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 where you met um, 
uh, didn't you meet uh, uh, that joke is going to go nowhere because I can't remember the actor's name so that's that fucked <laughs> um, but never mind because I was going to do an in Bruges joke but do it as in Cluj, ah, but I can't yeah. remember yeah. Colin Farrell thank Colin you Farrell, yes that's, yeah, thank you thank you oh, um, fair enough but yeah I, 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 yeah I, I mean the story's different enough in this and I do wonder mm. if again they did it intentionally they changed the story so much to make it again less like the universal film um although yes. the universal obviously follows the book a lot more closely um but yeah and this... but also the, it's the reason why it's called horror of dracula in america is so that it would not get confused because obviously mm. hammers this is the this is the second hammer horror after um curse of frankenstein which are really the sort of that's the real sort of hammer horror because obviously they did like quite a mass and stuff, but like curse curse of Frankenstein, but obviously the original in which is a totally new title. Yeah. So curse of Frankenstein, they didn't have that problem, but with Dracula, they were like, oh, we're calling it Dracula over here, but in America, because and apparently it was actually because the um, the Universal one was still in uh, was still actually appearing in theaters. Oh, really? Like in cinemas, because, um, you know, because obviously things had a much, film had a much greater, lo uh, longer lifespan, because obviously a lot of it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily getting syndicated to TV as quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, so Dracula with Bella Lugosi was still, could still be playing at your local cinema. So they mm. had to call it Horror of Dracula, so you knew that you weren't just going to be, you know, so if you'd seen Bella yeah. Lugosi, you wouldn't be, oh, well, I won't bother because I've seen it. Yeah. Or, you know, um, but yeah, no, I think it's because this is um, this is also like you've got obviously you've got the you've got Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, which is like obviously the classic Hammer lineup. Um, I'd actually forgotten until until rewatching it, I'd forgotten that actually Peter Cushing gets top billing. Yes, um, which again I think is probably because of the success of Curse of Frankenstein because obviously he plays. Mm. He plays Dr. Frankenstein in that, um, and Christopher Lee plays the monster. And actually, this is this is probably like because this is Christopher Lee without the makeup, because obviously he plays the monster, and then later on he goes on to play the mummy. Mm. But this is like he's this is his proper. It's it's a really weird one when you think about it because Christopher Lee's got such a fucking amazing voice mm. that he plays a lot of lumbering, silent creatures. Yeah. Um. Because, because also because he's a big bastard, so it's like you know he he immediately fills the doorway. So it's yeah. But again, you um, see why Peter Cushing get the top billing though? Because actually, Dracula isn't in this film a lot. It's a lot more of the, the story of Van Helsing and what's going on with Michael Goff. It, it's more Peter <clears throat> Cook and uh, Peter Cushing and Michael Goff. Um, and again, oh, I so wish Pete and Dad had done a Dracula. Could have followed up their <laughs> hand of the Baskervilles. I love their hand of oh. the Baskervilles. I would definitely watch that. But I've got to say, um, although Christopher yeah. Lee obviously aged very well and looked very similar most of the way through his life, Peter Cushing and Michael Goff, that's a couple of sweethearts in this, isn't it? They're really dashing. But, like, you, you forget how young mm. they were in these mm. films. And they are like it's, matinee idols, whereas I still always picture them that bit older and, you know, as they mm. were in the later films in the series. Yeah, they are like dashing young men in this and it's, yeah, it's quite well, funny. Well, I mean, like you said, I mean, 
um, Christopher Lee's actually on on screen for seven minutes. So technically, you know, it's, it's not, a, and I think I think it's like he gets like fifteen or sixteen lines in total. God. So he's, but then that is kind of again, that's kind of true to the book, because yeah. because the book is the book is done like I say, because the book is done from other people's perspectives yeah. and things like that. Dracula is always an external figure, so mm. you you never get like you never get Dracula's thought tracking in the book or something like that, or you know, or you don't. Dear diary, this morning I took the three bribes down to Aldi's yeah. and we. <laughs> And we picked up a set of garden furniture. But, um, <laughs> the, um, <laughs> but also, like you said about that, the like Peter Cushing, the iconic fucking crossed crucifixes, uh, the uh, crossed candlesticks, sorry, to form a crucifix, mm. was Peter Cushing's idea because he, because apparently the script was Van Helsing pulls out a crucifix. And it was like, well, I've been pulling out crucifixes all the way through this. This seems I'm like I've got a lot on me. Yeah. So he was like, so he came up with that idea, but he also came up with the idea of running down the table, and which again is not, you know, it's it's proper action stuff, which you don't immediately think that Peter Cushion's going to be doing. No. But like you say, that, you forget that he's in his prime. Yeah. I was going to say, that is an action roll that like the way he just leaps off of that table and just drags those curtains like i wouldn't want to shoot that shot it looked terrifying <laughs> yeah but it was yeah it was entire it was like that came from him so i mean a lot of it uh, a lot of it is very very much part of the sort of collaborative nature of how they work but i mean you've got so you've got the obviously you've got the um the classic sort of team but in terms of like Behind the camera, you've got. It's directed by Terence Fisher, Ooh. and the writer, well, the adapter is Jimmy Sangster. Yeah, and that is basically the classic Hammer lineup I because love they are responsible together. They just yeah, they are responsible. Magic. Well, collectively, they're responsible for like Curse of Frankenstein, Revenge, Hound of the Baskervilles. Um, the Mummy, Brides of Dracula, um, what else? Curse of the Werewolf, um, you know, bet between them. And also you've got um, James Bernard's score, mm. which, he, again, again, who is all over this sort of like golden period of, um, of Hammer, like he did Devil Rides Out and the Gorgon and the Mummy and stuff like that. And I'll admit I was singing along because famously, the the three notes of the score, uh, James Bernard said it came from. He, it was basically Dracula, so it's Dracula. <laughs> it's fucking Dracula. <laughs> uh, he, he didn't. He didn't put in the it's fucking. That was me. But but you get the idea with that one. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so, and that's like, I mean, that gets ridiculous later on because you do get like, Burkers of the werewolf, and <laughs> which, which may be stretching a point, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, so you've got this, this is really like the sort of, this is Hammer at its really hitting its peak, mm -hmm. both in terms of, both 
in front of the camera, behind the camera, and finding their own way of... And like you say, this compared to Lagosti's, like the Universal Dracula, you know, it is miles, miles more cinematic, more action, more adventure. You know, everything about it is just more up. And it's not just, oh, we can show blood and it's in colour. Yeah. Everything about it is so much more dynamic and snappy and, yeah. And Christopher Lee, you know, Bela Lugosi is obviously the quintessential Dracula in so much as ask a kid to do Dracula and they still do, they do the voice. Yeah. You know, but Christopher Lee feels like he could fucking do you some damage yeah. when he's Dracula. The when he comes in with his, and yes. the, Yeah, when he runs in and grabs the bride and throws, like, yeah, that's really, like, that's when Dracula is scared. Like, you can't imagine Bella Lugosi being scary. I know he does the, you know, the wave in his hands and sort of mesmerising. But yeah, mm. when Christopher Lee comes in and he's covered in blood and his eyes are bulging, he's terrifying. Yeah. It's much more so, because that's the thing. Lugosi was very much sort of stuck with the insidious, mesmeric sense of it. Yeah. Whereas Christopher Lee, it is much more of a, no, this is an animal that could rip you apart. Well, well, that's the the thing, because they, although they go more for that, they still do more more of it being a charming man than they do in the book. Because in the book, like the way he's described... But they say he's almost mm. rodent-like, like he sounds more, more horrid in the book. Yeah, like well, he, really and, unpleasant. And he's and he is old. Yeah, he is an old man, which is again something that only really they've done in the in Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is a fucking long title when you put it like that. And the more recent uh, Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss Dracula, mm. they've they've brought that element in of. Dracula becomes more youthful as mm. he drains the blood. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's so, so yeah, when he, when he comes into this, he's very sort of, he's very urbane and I'd like to work with my house. And he actually smiles, which is something yeah. you don't see Christopher <laughs> Lee do full stop most of the time. You yeah. Know, to, the, to the point where I was worried that the poor love had wind. So, <laughs> mind you, you say about the aging thing as well. That one of the things I did make a note of that I loved in this, yeah, is when he, uh, when Harker does stake the bride, and yes, when it cuts back and she's aged considerably. I'd forgotten that that was even in here, but I did, I, I did make a note because uh, obviously he turns up to kill Dracula, and then for no apparent reason decides to kill her first, and Jennifer went. Should have gone to Dracula first. Always bros yeah. before hoes. <laughs> and she's right. She is. <laughs> yeah. No, well, not only that, but also if you know, obviously he's a he's a acolyte or student of Van Helsing. Hmm. As because that's the thing as well is that Van Helsing in the book is very much a older, more sort of professorial sort of type person. Whereas, obviously, like you say, in this, he's actively, he's an action man. He's an adventurer. He is 
actively hunting vampires. It's not someone who's just done the research. Yeah. Who is aware of these things and stuff like that. And the, yeah, so he should have known that if you state Dracula, the, the bride will also be, you know, because it's you killed the souls. Yeah. And again, and, he's um, just, you know, he's the most dangerous one. So yeah. it, it makes more sense to kill him first and then Take come out back the damage to the other. first. Yeah. But, well, see, because I think I think also that again, that's something that sort of ups the ante from the book, is because um, Jonathan Harker escapes. So immediately, the first person who is coming to contact with Dracula does actually make it out. Yeah, I mean, he ends up in a bloody lunatic asylum in Budapest or something like that. But he is, you know, he is sort of. Um, he does manage to to outswerve Dracula, mm. whereas this, where it's like, oh no, he's actually, you know, Van Helsing has to come along and kill him, yeah, because he knows. And actually, that the bit where, I mean, for a start, the bit where he states um, when it's uh, he states Lucy, mm. I'll tell you what, fucking get Peter Cushion around, do a bit of DIY because that third blow. Yeah, it's like you've gone through to the bot. You've gone through the bottom of the coffin there, mate. That's bloody <laughs> ridiculous. But also, but also, just um, Michael Goff's reactions. Yeah, tell you much more than actually seeing anything sort of particularly graphic. Yeah. Um, although, also, what happens to Lucy is, and this was pointed out by Claire, so a lady. So we won't be cancelled for it. Uh, Claire did point out that it wasn't just her teeth that got pointy after she became a vampire. So, uh... <laughs> I, I tell you what I did notice, you saying about that, I did notice actually that Jonathan Harker, when he turns up and the, the female vampire comes out to greet him before he meets Dracula, yeah, he does so, literally just walk up staring at her chest and it's like, oh, hello. And I'm like, eyes up here, bud. What are you doing? Like, you're on camera. What are you but yeah, yeah. But as we've Time. discussed, this this is this is this is something that has been from from the Wolfman onwards. You know, there's, yeah. there's been there's been, a, there's been, there's a, been a, a a real vein of misogyny running through this thing, <laughs> <laughs> where it's like, oh, it's perfectly acceptable in the day I was able to stare down her cleavage quite dramatically. So. <laughs> Well, in that case, if it's the same as Wolfman, I'm blaming uh, Miles Mallison because he was in this as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> The crazy undertaker in this was also the crazy priest in the Wolfman, mm. which I'd forgotten the, that he comes from the Universal into these. And he and he's the crazy uh, hearse driver in um, Dead of Night as well. Yes, Room for one more in back. Because yeah. <laughs> actually, that's something that they do seem to have picked up from Universal. Is they everyone who isn't part of the main story. Is comic relief. Yes, you know it's like the guy, um, the guy in the um, the guy in the shipping office, hmm. where especially I mean that is just beautiful. Where it's just Michael Goff's just got the notes, yeah, and then he pins them onto the uh, desk spike, you know. It's like, but um, but again, he's like, and who actually I think I think he's in a warning to the curious. But again, he's one of those sort of comic relief characters, hmm. and. And actually, Doctor Seward, um, that's Trigger's dad. From oh, really, 
from the only fools and horses yes wow. that is charles lloyd pack father of uh, roger lloyd pack um and actually most of the that's the thing most of the supporting cast are sort of um a lot of them are hammer stalwarts as well because like miles mallison's in um he's in pan of the baskervilles and brides of dracula of the opera um uh, Charles Lloyd packs in uh, Revenge of Frankenstein, The Reptile, uh, Frankenstein and Monster from Hell. He's also bedazzled. Um, also, <laughs> I want to. I, I also want to point out George Woodbridge, where it's that lovely thing of how do we suggest a peasant? Cornwall. Yeah. Right. We'll just give him a Cornish accent. Um, in the middle but of George Clinton. Woodbridge, who is the who, who's the landlord, um, who is. Also a landlord in Dracula, Prince of Darkness. I don't know if he's meant to be the same landlord, mm -hmm. um, but he's in like the Reptile and the Mummy and Revenge of Frankenstein. But I am also going to have to mention he's in my favourite um, Peter Sellers movie, uh, which is Two Way Stretch. And if you watch Two Way Stretch, he plays the... Basically, it's three criminals uh, work out that if they can escape the night before they're released from jail they can commit a robbery and have the cast iron alibi because they break back in and then get released the next day and just go and collect the uh, <laughs> the, uh, the money. And uh, George Woodbridge plays the, um, the prison governor who is just this lovely bumbling old man. But then, two, but then like a week before they're due to escape, he gets replaced by a man who is so clearly who... Mackay in Porridge is based on it's practically like it is practically criminal. Oh, really? Because it is, seriously, Two Way Stretch is an amazing film, but Lionel Jeffries comes in as uh, Officer Crown, and he is he is basically Mackay. It's that same sort of like military buffoon arsehole sort of take on things. But yeah, Two Way Stretch is yeah just a big recommendation, and it like I say it's my favourite Peter Sellers movie, um, and. Um, and also just like one of those ones where it's like, that's a really good fucking idea for a plot. It's a strange one that no one's sort of tried to repeat it. Yeah. Because, yeah, there's actually like a great sort of, just as a, as a plot idea, it's just brilliant. Um, uh, I say, um, you're saying about the sort of almost cameos in it, but yeah, Jeffrey Bailden as well, just oh, being yes. the porter, who's got, he was literally in it for 30 seconds. And I was like, oh my God. And he, he does a lot of these horror films as well where he turns up very briefly for the... and he does that lovely and he does that lovely if you're fucking chum <laughs> look at look at Peter Cushing where it's like oh yes I was talking to myself oh yes yeah. <laughs> just gives him a funny look I love it but obviously, obviously Dracula I'm, 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 what, uh, there's a it's available on YouTube so I would recommend people to go and watch this, but I, there was an amazing series that the BBC did in the early 90s, and it was called Nightmare, Birth of Horror. And it was basically about how, um, how work, like great works of horror fiction came from people's nightmares. Mm -hmm. So they covered Frankenstein, they covered Dracula, they did uh, Jekyll and Hyde, and they also did Hound of the Baskervilles, which was kind of stretching a point a bit because that didn't actually come from a nightmare that Conan Doyle had, but it was like 
it was the fourth episode, and by then I'd forgive him anything. It was just a great series, and it's a, uh, an academic uh, guy, uh, guy called Christopher Frayling, and he sort of goes in depth about the um, the origins of where all these sort of um, where all these things came from. So, just to give you, because he is kind of responsible for, or at least one of the people responsible for the um, for the genre that we we are we have pinned our dead men to. <laughs> um, um, Bram Stoker, um, who was uh, full name Abraham Stoker, um, uh, was born in 1847, which is the same year of the publication of the Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire. Mm. Um, he was an ex-civil servant from Dublin, who at the time he had begun writing Dracula had been working for the actor-manager Henry Irving at the Lyceum Theatre in London. And he was working as his business manager and public relations officer and basically general dogspot um, for about 10 years by the time he came to write Dracula. Now, Irving was a domineering, egocentric and demanding man who Stoker worshipped and Irvin exploited that to the fullest. And basically Irvin is a hell of a lot of inspiration on Dracula. He's basically a very big, loud, he's toast. He's like, he's like toast of London. He is just mm -hmm. a sort of really hammy, like grand actor who would sort of hold people at arm's length and shout at them. And sort of, you know, he was just a, a well, a bit of a prick, basically, but it's clear, it definitely, because that's one thing that I think he's missing from this, and it's a shame, but again, it's part of that streamlining, is you do miss Renfield. Yeah. Because I think Renfield is an important, and Renfield, basically, that's who Bram Stoker was to Henry Irving. He was Renfield to Henry Irving's Dracula. It was yeah. that sort of a relationship where basically, yeah. Um, so he'd already written four novels, um, before he wrote Dracula, which were mainly romances. He hadn't really done anything horror before, um, and he'd done some short stories and articles. And then he claimed that he had a heavy helping of dressed crab for supper and had a nightmare that was the inspirational spark for Dracula. And his dream was of the seduction scene of the three brides interrupted by a man claiming Stoker as his own. And... Um, yeah, so he began writing it in 1890 and sort of like, so he keeps, he keeps rewriting about the dream and stuff like that. Um, but then he goes to Whitby, which obviously is part, which is a big part of the book and uh, where he started getting his notes together and everything. But he went to the Whitby, uh, like the local library in Whitby, um, where one of the books he picked up was an account of the principalities of Valachia and Moldavia by William Wilkinson. Oh. And um, he made a note, and this is like in his uh, written notes, like they, they show it in the thing. And where is it? Um, Dracula is the, in the, in the Valachian language means devil. The Valachians were at that time, as they are at present, used to give this name as a surname to any person who rendered himself conspicuous either by courage, cruel intentions, or coming. So that's sort of like, that's all where that came from. And then he sort of, um, basically, I mean, he, he researched Transylvania, but that was, that was literally all he did. So of the locations that are in the book, he'd been to Whitby, he never went to Transylvania. 
No, um, and I went a few years back, uh, about two years ago now, um, mm. in the London Library, they found an old copy of a book um, that he'd written in while he was making his notes, uh, which is mm. why I went to an evening there where they did uh, a dramatisation in the London Library in front of about 50 people, uh, and they nice. did a dramatisation of Dracula. Uh, in the middle of the library, and it was fantastic evening. Would that have been the land beyond the forests? That's one, that one, one of the books that he was obsessed over. I believe that is what Transylvania means, is the land yes. beyond the forest. Yeah. Um, he also read, and I, I'm just going to state this because this is one of my favourite names of anyone ever. He also read The Book of Werewolves by the Reverend Sabine Baring Gould. <laughs> which is just a fantastic name and the name that I give the police whenever I'm pulled over for drunk driving um, and he also that's where he found out about that's where he found out about uh, Vlad the Impaler as yep. well where he wrote a pamphlet about that so it took him six years to write and it was published in 1897 and you saying about him like the um, like a dramatisation of it so he obviously because he was involved in the theatre he wanted to protect the copyright of it um, so he organised a full cast reading at the Lyceum that was basically just them reading the book for five hours. Oh. And that's how he got... And apparently Henry Irving watched it and at the end when they finished, he just looked at him and just went dreadful and walked out. That's what a prick Henry Irving was. <laughs> the, fact, the fact he sat there for the five yeah. hours just to be a dick at the end of it yeah. was yeah no that's that's on a new scale that is um but afterwards he wrote another seven novels two of which were horror which was the jewel of the seven stars which is a mummy story and the lair of the white worm which came out just before he died mm. um which is based on the legend of the lantern worm there is also the story dracula's guest which got published with some other short stories about two years after he died Dracula's guest is actually the original first chapter of Dracula that they edited out that he decided wasn't, you know, was not worth keeping in the, um, in like sort of in the narrative. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Dracula's guest is actually just like a little, um, a, a little prequel basically, um, which, which I have read is rather, rather good. As I, have, as, as I remember, but the, I mean the whole thing. The, whatever happens, the book is really worth a read. And the great thing as well that I think, again, is something that this movie does is that if you go to the book, you will get a different experience. Yes, mm. oh, 100%. Rather than that thing of you've slavished, like say for example, I don't know. I mean, obviously there are certain changes, um, but to a greater or lesser extent. The film of, um, say, I don't know, say Watchmen. Actually, no, it's a bad example. It does really change it. And it, really does, it changes something very fundamental at the end and is a very different experience if you read it. But there are a lot of adaptations where you basically get what you... You basically get from the film what you will get from the book. Yeah. Whereas with this, you sort of... You can see what they've done, but you get a, a much greater sort of... Uh, a, a sort of much wider experience where you get, you, well, you just get a different story, which is great. Yeah. 
funnily, funnily enough, that harks back to Annihilation because the book of Annihilation is extremely different to mm. the uh, the movie. It really is. Um, uh, both of them are brilliant, but they're brilliant in completely different ways. Much like this. <laughs> Yeah, I um there is a there is actually a Dracula hotel uh in Transylvania, which is it's funny because I've been to Transylvania several times now, and they don't really they make a big deal about Dracula, who which is what they refer to um Vlad as Dracula, mm. um so the the historical figure they is a big thing, but the fictitious side of it they don't really get the rest of the world's fascination. Um, but they did make a castle Dracula, uh, which basically they mapped it out following exactly as it is in the book and then put it where it would be in the Carpathian Mountains. Unfortunately, it means it's in the arse end of nowhere um, and you uh-huh. basically have to hire a car to get to it. And if you've ever been to Transylvania, you don't want to drive in Transylvania. It is one of the craziest driving <laughs> places I've ever been. Um, and even being a passenger terrifies me every time. So, um, it's yeah. even more, once once you are driving, being a passenger is even more terrifying. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? I don't know why it just is. Yeah, um, before I was driving, so I think if I went back there, then again, you know, went back now, I think it'd be even worse. So, so the castle that they've got there that, that is Castle Dracula, or is, sorry, is that the hotel, the Dracula Hotel? Yeah. is the one that's in the arse end of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Because Vlad's castle is there as well, but that's a different thing, isn't it? Yes. So that's, yeah. that's fallen into ruins now. Yeah. And it, it's basically just, uh, yeah, it's, you can well, see I mean, the foundations like, and stuff. Yeah. But, um, but the Bran Castle is the one that is called Castle Dracula, um, yeah. which is in Brashov, I believe. Um yeah, and I've been there, and it, it it's great. It is cool, um, but it has nothing to do with the fictitious story, and the real Dracula never visited it either. Um, but it looks the part, and it's right up on the edge of a cliff, and you can go out onto the parapet at the top and see out over the mountains. It's a, it's a great day out. It's really cool, mm. but it gets called Castle Dracula for no reason whatsoever, <laughs> which... Well, because isn't I mean, because I suppose because in Transylvania or like in Romania, Vlad is kind of a national hero. Is he? Oh yeah, he's, based, he's basically their equivalent of Richard the Lionheart, which yes. is you know, it's like everyone's like, oh yeah, that what represents Britain? You know, it's like, well, the good King Richard the Lionheart. I mean, when you look into it, and it's basically religious genocide. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't bear a lot of close examination. But overall, he's basically, yeah, it's that same sort of thing of just like a, a, a sort of, a, a, not folkloric, but a historical hero sort of thing, yeah. I suppose. So, they, they, so back when he was in, uh, when his father was in charge, um, <clears throat> there was an awful lot of fighting and the, the territory that then was Wallachia that, that later became uh, Romania, basically was constantly under threat and was, sometimes it was, owned by the Turkish and then the Romanians would overthrow yeah. them and then the Turkish. So there was constantly a battle for where the, the balls yeah. were. Um, and the Ottoman empire was basically trying to sweep it away and make it all part of, of, of yeah. uh, the Turkish empire. 
Um, and let's face it, is there is it too much to ask? You know, all they wanted was everyone to put their feet up, didn't they? <laughs> Uh, I, uh, yeah, I think they, I think it was the religion they were trying to bring with them, which was their main. Uh, um... Oh, I, ju- I just I just think about the Ottomans. That's all. So, you know. <laughs> um, Chris, the penny dropped for Chris. I think just yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm so just obviously... trying to keep up with all this historical uh, <laughs> uh, knowledge that Lee suddenly seems to have a lot of about. But then I guess yeah, like you went to Romania, you were really into it. Yeah, and of course yeah. it fits with with all of the, the film as well yeah, and I, yeah so i've read a few books on the history of it and that kind of mm. thing yeah just because i found it fascinating I'd say, i mean vlad particularly as you say because he is a bloodthirsty tyrant who effectively yeah. this is but if you look at it from if it uh, from a romanian standpoint if it wasn't for him and the armies he put together and the battles he won it could just be another part of, part of the. It would have just would, become part of the Turkish Empire and wouldn't yeah. be its own sovereignty. Mm-hmm. So, it, he's a really important character in their history, and he almost single-handedly, especially. So, his father, basically, to stop the fights against the Turks, handed his own son over. Yes. To to, to the Ottomans and said, "Look, he can stay with you." And we'll have peace for a while. Um, and then his father was murdered, effectively. Um, so they let, they let the prince go. And he basically started an entire army and fought back against the Turkish army and held the border um, for the whole of it. Was his- it was basically like Theon Greyjoy in Game of Thrones, only no one yeah. cut his <laughs> But yeah, no, and... Actually, that again, although I put it out in the world, Netflix, you can ignore this if someone else can find this for me. There is a, there was a play on the BBC, like on radio, called Vlad the Impaler with John Hurt playing Vlad. And it was incredible. It's like an hour and a half. And if someone, I, can ne- I can't find it online. I can't find like, I can't find a recording of it. Some fucker out there must have it. <laughs> are you, are you sure it wasn't Michael Goff? It was not Michael Goff. It was definitely John <laughs> I only know that because that's where most of the impression comes from. <laughs> they can piss that fire out. And it's yeah. And that goes that goes really into mm. the that goes really into the story. That's where I learned about uh Vlad uh, Vlad Tepes. It was like yeah, that it came from that, and it's—I mean—it's an amazing, it's an amazing fucking piece of work, anyway. But um, yeah, the but yeah, Vlad is because actually, I think when Francis Ford Coppola did the intro, like at the start of Bram Stoker's Dracula, where he brings Vlad into it, mm. um, that actually did get that had complaints and was protested in Romania. Because of that thing of well, why are you associating it with this, you know, with this evil figure? That's not what it is. And you know, truth be told, it's a, it was an inspiration. It wasn't. There was never a, you know, as far as Bram Stoker was concerned, there was never a connection. You know, it isn't meant to be Vlad the Impaler as an undead, yeah, uh, vampire going forward into the Victorian era. <laughs> But, but then also, 
Bram Stoker probably wasn't quite aware how sort of sexy the book was, you know. Because <laughs> that, that's the thing, is that, again, it's one of those ones where they do tread that fine line. And like you say, but I mean, the book, you know, it, all the stuff's there in the book. And apparently, um, oh, uh, who, who is it? The, um, uh, the actress who played uh, uh, Mina, Melissa uh, Striebling, um, they um, like she couldn't get she was trying to get the bit where she's first been bitten by Dracula and they were like sort of like, you know she was like I don't know I don't know how I'm pitching this or whatever like that and eventually um, like um, uh, Terence Fisher just said right just imagine you've had the best sex ever all night and that's how she played it. And then it was like, right, no, that's it. Take one. Done. But it was, <laughs> so, you know, I think every, everyone knows what is going on because there is obviously the, the seductive element. Mm. And, um, well, I mean, you know, there's, there's a woman very close to me who would uh, definitely ascertain that uh, Christopher Lee cuts an erotic figure. Mm. There she is. <laughs> yeah. I think she's only disappointed he's not he's not wearing one of his finest moustaches for this. <laughs> so, but, uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a classic. I'm I'm so glad we finally covered it. I mm. it's one of those films in my mind. I, I never race to watch it, but then whenever like something like this happens and I do watch it again. It, I really appreciate it, and I think I, I really should be watching these Hammer Dracula movies a lot more. But I think because mm, there's so yeah. many of them, it's got that thing we've discussed before where you watch one, and then you want to watch four or five, and then you kind of get burnt out on it, and you don't go back to it for another 10 years. And then mm. when you do, you go, oh, yeah, no, they are really good. <laughs> and, I mean, I enjoy all of the Dracula Hammer films. I know... Christopher Lee famously got very pissed off oh, and was desperate yeah. to get out of them. But I find them thoroughly entertaining, and I, I, I really enjoy them. I think they they do they do have a consistency, which I think is again it's much like the the their Frankenstein franchise. Mm. You know that has a strong through certainly that has a very strong through story, whereas I think. The, the Dracula, I think I think Christopher Lee's complaint was they started getting a bit bogged down in just like, oh, what happens in this? Well, Dracula comes back from the dead. Oh, oh right, okay. What happens then? Kill some people. You know, <laughs> bite, bites, a, bites a woman, someone stakes him at the end. Oh, right, okay. But you've got, because it's, it's a, the weirdest thing is, though, is because you've got, obviously you've got Dracula, you've got this one. And then they followed it up two years later with Brides of Dracula, which has Peter Cushing as Dr. Van Helsing in it, but Dracula's not in it. And so Christopher Lee's not in it. And then after that, they do Dracula, Prince of Darkness. And that's the one famously, and Peter Cushing's not in that. So there's no Van Helsing in that one. But famously, that's the one where Christopher Lee said the dialogue was so bad that, well, I just won't say anything. And so Dracula is actually silent for that film. He snarls, he hisses, but he does not have a single fucking line of dialogue because Chris was having a bad day and decided to <laughs> just kind of get arsy with them. <laughs> um, then you get 
Dracula has risen from the grave, uh, taste the blood of Dracula and scars of Dracula. Um, and then finally, you come to Dracula AD 1972, which is a, a, a real fucking favourite of mine. But I... that is when you get Pete Cushing back. Yes. Because and actually he plays... The he plays Dr. Lawrence Van Helsing in like an early in the early part of the film where it's like the pre the sort of bit set in 1872. Uh, because yeah, because it's exactly a hundred years later that he's resurrected in 1972. But his descendant, Professor Lorimer Van Helsing, um, is uh, who he plays in that. Then you get Satanic Rites of Dracula with, uh, and again, Peter Cushing's back as Lorimer Van Helsing. And then, bizarrely, you get The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, which doesn't have Dracula in the title. Um, Dracula's not in it that long, and Christopher Lee didn't want to do it. So it's a guy called John Forbes Robertson who plays Dracula, who's like a sort of thick set older actor with like a big sort of Mrs. Sloke bouffant hair. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just bizarre. And But uh, although at this point, uh, Peter Cushing has re returns as the original Van Helsing because Seven Golden Vampires is set like in back in Victorian times. And But now he's Professor Van Helsing, not Dr. Van Helsing. So yeah, anyway, that's, <laughs> that's by the by. But Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires is very late stage hammer and basically it's they decided we could do what's big at the moment kung fu movies <laughs> so they actually it's actually a collaboration between hammer and the shaw brothers who were like the hong kong the hong kong um martial arts film studio and how did that go they, well, let's just say there's something pretty bizarre about Peter Cushing, especially because you know he's not quite so action hero -y at this point. He has he has aged yeah. by this point. You know, this yeah. is we are now what uh, uh, 15, 16 years from the the first Dracula at this point, mm. and yeah. So we're talking sort of New Hope era Peter Cushing. Okay. Surrounded by like four Chinese guys with like battle axes and swords um, going across what is supposed to be like turn of the century China. And you're taking an awful and, risk, Vader. And, and, and I'm pretty sure Dracula at the very start, this is the weirdest thing, is you don't need to make it a Dracula movie. Mm. because he's not in it that much and you couldn't get Christopher Lee back to play him anyway. So why not just cut the demo? Yeah. But Dracula transforms into transforms into someone else and there's like skull-faced Chinese vampires on horseback. Or it, it's very weird. It's, mm. It gets, yeah, it gets very strange and I'm very pleased that it does. But there is no way on there is no one earth that you can kind of make them all tally. Mm. 
without a massive headache or a massive amount of, you know, wish fulfillment and good luck. <laughs> I, I, Legends of the Seven Golden Vampires is a fantastic, fun film, um, but it just is a fever necessarily dream. think of it. Like, yeah. yeah, you just you just think, did someone just have the flu and just sat mm. there with a seething temperature and kind of half hallucinating and, you know, all hyped up on Robitussin and just came up with this because it's just insane. But I love it. <laughs> yeah. And similarly, Dracula AD 1972, which is one of those weird films where it's like, no, this is coming out. This is the year we're making it and this is the year it's coming out. And it still is like, seems a bit 1960s for 1972, to be honest, <laughs> It feels more like Dracula AD 1967. But... <laughs> Um, but that is, that's a joy to behold. I and was, actually, you I get was some say, Lee and Cushing interaction in those ones. Yeah, I was going to say, if unless we've got anything better lined up for the next episode, shall we roll from this into AD 1972 to make up the, the hammer numbers and to show Chris mm. where it started and where it, finished Where before it, it went really weird <laughs> yeah before it went mm. dog mental so yeah or or the point at which definitely there is a sh basically the point at which it jumps the shark but i am so pleased that it does yeah <laughs> I think that big, so would, would you be up for that chris yeah absolutely excellent okay. so yes cool right in that case, let's call it a, a night here and uh, not get too far into the mentalness that is Dracula <laughs> AD 1972. Um, yeah, this is one of those films I really wish I had somewhere to put the poster up because I love the poster for this movie. Oh, that's I'm, incredible. I regularly look it up and just think, I haven't, I just haven't got the, anywhere that it'd look right. It's the wrong. It's in landscape, so I couldn't have it up in the like with the rest of my horror posters. So I need somewhere in the house to put it up, but it is just a thing of beauty. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Also, it means we could talk about the monster hunters a bit more as well. Yeah. Right. In that case, Excellent. God, I'm excited now. Right. So, <laughs> what what was that called? Uh, Dracula AD 1972. AD. 1972. Or is it 1972 AD? No, it's Dracula AD 1972, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because it's weird because it's the wrong way around, which yeah. I don't quite know why or mm. how, but I'm, I'm sure we'll get to the bottom <laughs> of it at the end of the episode. Um, so thanks ever so much for listening, everybody. Uh, don't forget to check out uh, our friends over at the Not For Everyone podcast. Uh, don't forget to check out As Yet as yet Unexplained. Don't yes. forget to check out the Moss Eisley Happy Hour. At the next episode you guys are doing is Rise of the Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker, yeah. yeah. Do we have a special yeah. guest lined up for that one? Yes. Coming coming to the end of, a, of an era. No. So. Oh. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you guys will have more. Didn't you talk about putting more on at the end after this? But we'll see how it... Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we, 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 we spin this out of the years. In the end, it'll be like, well, we're, 
we're just Twitch streaming us on fucking Lego Star Wars on the <laughs> PS2. <laughs> if, if only so we can... Uh, apparently, I did see someone have posted that online about they were told, someone said to them, what, you've seen You've seen in, in real life a PS2? Hmm. It's like, what? <laughs> I've got a PS2 still set up in downstairs in my living room. Right I've next got to my a PS2. silver PS2. Uh, and I've got Lego Star Wars in it. I believe you bought me, Adam, for Christmas one year. Um, yeah, because, yeah, li- because literally the, it was the kindest thing I could ever do for anyone is buy them Lego Star Wars because it's <laughs> fucking terrific. It's so much fun. Um, yes, so before we go off on a daft tangent about playing retro gaming consoles, um, we shall see you all next week for, I don't know, in a fortnight's time, sorry, for Dracula AD 1972. Good night. Yes. Good night. Good night.